Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry Podcast. This is our official kickoff week for the year, and Matt Densky, that's me, brings us the vision of what our ministry is all about. The core of our DNA is that every single person would know that they belong from the moment they walk through the doors. This is inspired by the life and ministry of Jesus as he created belonging with people in their journey of discovering what it means to believe in him. Follow along, and we hope you enjoy this message. Amen. You can grab a seat. Grab a seat. Settle in. Get comfy. Let me welcome you one more time to Fellowship Greenville Student Ministry. We are so, so excited. Hey, Evie. We are so, so excited that you are here and so thankful that you are here to worship and learn about Jesus with us. My name is Matt Dinsky. I'm the student ministry pastor here at Fellowship Greenville. Thank you, Alec. Thank you, Alec. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. And uh, I love you guys so much. I'm so excited to kick the year off with you all. Uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. If you're a ninth grader and this is your first time with us in here, welcome. We are so thankful you're here. If it's your first time in a while, welcome back. If you're a regular, obviously, welcome. We love you. Uh, listen, I want everyone to do something for me. It's going to be a little awkward at first, but we're going to do a little bit of a repeat after me. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Repeat after me out loud. I, I belong here. here. This is good. We lost a little bit of momentum towards the end there. That's okay. We're going to try it again. Here we go. Repeat after me. Let's do this again one more time. I, I belong, belong here. I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to look at him and say, hey, you belong here. That's good. I want you to turn to the other person. I want you to turn to the other person on your other side. I want you to tell them you belong here. I don't even know you. I don't even know you, and this is awkward, but you belong here. Yes. Yes. I want you to turn around and look at the person behind you. Be like, yo, get off Snapchat. Okay, we're at church, but also, but also... You belong here. You belong here. We love you. You might be my ex-boyfriend, but you belong here. I don't want you here, but Jesus does. All right? Okay. Good. Thank you. That set the stage for us. Listen, it is, it is our kickoff week, and uh, it's an important week. And we were talking as a team this week about, you know, what I was going to teach on and what I'm going to speak on. I had something else in mind. And then Dallas told me uh, from middle school, he was doing the vision casting for our student ministry and our DNA. And I was like, dude, yes, I'm doing that too. Thank you, Dallas. So I chucked the sermon I was working on. And tonight for our kickoff week, I want to focus in on our student ministry vision, the DNA of who we are. If you come here on Sunday nights, we love you. We're so thankful you're here. But the way that we view Sunday nights is this isn't just a building that we come together once a week. We don't really think about each other throughout the week, but we come back next week. The way that we think about this is more like a family. To use the biblical language that, that we've been adopted into a family, namely the family of Jesus Christ. And so as our student ministry team thinks about you guys and prays for you guys, we think about this place as a family. And one of the house rules for our family, the DNA of our student ministry is that we want every single person in this room to know that you belong here. It is core to the DNA of who we are as a student ministry. And if you've seen some of our shirts, you've seen these words on them, belong, believe, become. If you've gone over to the student ministry building, you've seen posters or things like that on the walls, belong, believe, become. If you've heard me preach over the years, you'll hear me talk about it a lot, belong, believe, become. The DNA 
of our student ministry, of this family, our heart is that every single person that walks through these doors would know that they belong. Why? Because we believe that the creator of the universe has bestowed tremendous worth on every single person in this room and that you are loved, you're loved by God, and you're loved by us. And we desire for you to know the truth that Jesus seeks you out and desires a relationship with you and that you have a place to belong in the family of God. And we want to create that reality of heaven here on earth in this room right here. And so we want you to know that you belong here. But here's the deal. You may not always feel that way, do you? I think one of the worst feelings in life is to feel like you don't have a place. Anybody ever felt left out? Like you just, you just didn't. <laughs> oh, we're supposed to put hands up for this. <laughs> Some people got eager there and then they realized, I don't know if everyone's saying this. Okay. Has anyone ever felt left out? Okay. Anyone ever experienced that? Thank you. I won't say your name. C. Him. But thank you. Um, I think one of the worst feelings is feeling left out, like you don't have a place to belong. When I was growing up, when I was young, I grew up in East Tennessee. McKay, I talked a little bit more like you when I was growing up. You know what I mean? I had a little bit of that drawl to me, but I've since neutralized my accent and just diminished. I grew up in East Tennessee, rural mountain in East Tennessee, small town. I grew up there all my life. All of my life. <laughs> Kindergarten first grade. And then after first grade, I moved to Kentucky, Lexington. Go Wildcats. Thank you, one. Yeah, thank you. I moved to Kentucky. And I lived in Kentucky for six years, second grade through sixth grade. I lived there for six years. And then after sixth grade, I moved back to Tennessee, back to the same town that I grew up in. And i got to be honest with you guys, I approached, so I'd be in seventh grade now. Anybody remember middle school? Yeah? You remember how, like, you remember how vulnerable you felt in middle school? You remember how fragile you felt in middle school? Like, <laughs> you know one of the hardest things to do is move to a new town to begin middle school? Like, that is terrifying, and that was my reality. And I'm not trying to earn, like, sympathy points here, like the sob story of Matt Densky. But my parents had just divorced. That's why we moved to Tennessee. So I was already feeling lonely and, like, I don't have a place. But we were moving to the same town I grew up in. And so i got to be honest with you guys. I was really excited because that meant I was going to see my old friends when we used to kick it in kindergarten, yo. If that isn't lifelong friends, I don't know what is kindergarten friends. And I was really excited because I wasn't starting from scratch. I would know people. And I remember being so excited, like, okay, I'm scared of middle school. I'm scared of going to the new place, the new school. I don't, I don't know anybody, but I do know people. And I remember before we moved, I made a list of, like, all my old kindergarten friends. And some of them, man, they were so, I was, like, best friends with them in kindergarten. And I was so excited to see them again. And I remember that first week of school we started, and in middle school we had a class called P.E., short for physical education, where you learn how to be physical. And I think we were like trying to, we were timing our mile. Anyone ever time your mile in middle school? Like four laps around this one, it wasn't a track. We were from East Tennessee, we were very poor, we had a parking lot, but four laps around this parking lot was a mile, and we were all timing it. 
And I remember, man, it's so weird, like, being out there and you've got this, like, competitive, like, i got to run fast. And, you know, you're the new kid. But I remember I saw some of my old friends from kindergarten and first grade. And I was so excited. Oh, I'm not alone anymore. I don't feel alone. And I went over to them. And I was so excited to see them. And I said, hey to one. And I'm standing there. I said hello. And he looks at me. And he says, what's up? And I'm not going to say what he said next. But it was not kind. I, thank you. Someone gasped. <gasps> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Seventh grade me needed you back then. He said, hey, what's up? Insert very cruel name. And I just remember standing there as like, oh, like just, you, have you ever, has someone ever said something to you you're just not ready for? You didn't expect it from them during that time? Like you had all your defenses down. You just weren't, you just weren't even suspecting there'd be a jab coming. And he said it. And I just remember feeling so taken back, like, oh. And what became clear to me in that week was that whatever friends I had in kindergarten and first grade and assumed that we would just kind of like still be friends in middle school was absolutely incorrect. Something had happened in the last six years. I didn't get the memo, but they changed or I changed or whatever, but they were no longer interested in being friends. In fact, like in the category of types of people, like we would call them like the two cool, like they were, they were like bullies. They made fun of everybody. No one could fit into their group. I didn't know that. I had just moved back into town. I was like, yo, what's up, man? He's like, get away from me, dude. And I just remember like feeling so hurt and feeling ashamed. Feeling ashamed that for whatever reason, I didn't measure up to being their friend. Had nothing to do with me. But I just remember the feeling of feeling left out, feeling like I don't have a place to belong. And it brought weird side emotions, shame, embarrassment, humiliation, worth. All of these things began to like rattle around. And I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up with Jesus. Honestly, seventh grade Maddie needed someone like just to throw his, their arm around and be like, it's okay, buddy. Like I didn't have it. So I wrestled with that for a few years of like, where's my place? I thought it was with some people I knew, but it's not. If you have ever felt that, like you don't have a place to land, you don't have an identity in a group, you don't have a belonging, it is one of the absolute worst feelings you could possibly imagine. Some of you know what I mean. You've been there. Maybe you are there. If you do have that, like if that's a reality for your life, man, praise God. But I hope you walk out of this room tonight realizing it's not a reality for everyone. And what might Jesus be inviting you into to help create that for others? So I want to talk tonight about belonging. It's what our student ministry is all about. In fact, if you look at our language, you'll see that belonging comes before belief. Now, I want you to hear me on this. I, over the years, when I, when I came to Fellowship Greenville six years ago, I met with my team and I asked them a few questions about the student ministry. And what became clear right away is that we didn't quite have a DNA. We didn't have like a vision. We didn't have something that captured what we're about. And so I came to the team and I said, listen, I want us to create language that summarizes what we are about as a student ministry. I'm giving you two weeks to come up with as many things as you can possibly come up with that you're passionate about, that you want our student ministry to be defined by. However, I'm going to like lay the law down on this one thing. No matter what we come up with, the first thing that we will say is, 
belonging. We will be defined as a student ministry by the word belong, period. You guys can create other things, that's great, but belong will be first. And over the years, I've received some pushback on this from various people. And they've come to me and they've said things like, Matt, wait, 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 I've noticed the order here. It says belong, believe, become. Are you saying, are you saying that belonging is more important than believing in Jesus? Have you guys ever noticed our order? Two of you are nodding. Thank you so much for the engagement. Have you guys ever noticed our order? Belonging comes first for a reason. It's not accidental. When it comes to your, like, soul and discovering life, I think belief trumps all. All right? Like, let's get that out of the way. But when it comes to actually, like, real-life interaction, most people will not be concerned about believing in what we believe in if they don't feel like they belong where we are. It's kind of, it's not rocket science. If you don't feel included, you don't want what they have. And over the years, people have said, man, you've got belief first. That's interesting. Fun fact, you may not know this, but four or five student ministries in different parts of the country have adopted our vision statement and have made this the language for their church. Belong, Believe, Become has defined their student ministry. And those youth pastors will call me from time to time and be like, dude, I'm getting pushback on this vision. Like even from the leadership within our church, they're confused why I would have belonging come before believing. Because isn't it all about belief in Jesus? And it's like, yes, it is all about belief in Jesus. But if people don't feel like they have a place to belong, typically they won't want to believe in what those people believe in. And so belonging comes first. And that's what we try to create here. That's what we believe Jesus created. So, let me ask you guys this. I have a quiz for you guys. Some of you guys have heard me do this before. Please don't spoil the answers. Okay, here we go. Here's a quiz. If you were to think about the life of Jesus Christ, whom we believe to be God in the flesh, that all of history is pointing ahead to this one pivotal moment where God will step out of his heavenly throne room and manifest himself on earth in the form of a human being. When divine spirit will literally put on flesh and walk among us as a man. All of history is waiting on this moment, is anxious for this moment, can't, is anticipating this moment, and then it finally happens, and Jesus submits himself to the full human experience, even the womb, and being born as an infant, as a fragile, delicate infant, allowing himself to be raised by teenage parents who had no clue what they were doing. And Jesus grew up. You would think that if God were going to come to earth, that he would, from the beginning, start teaching and doing miracles and preaching and doing all these things because time would be so limited, and yet, that's not what God did. How old was Jesus when he began teaching, publicly teaching? Someone shouted out at me. 30. 30 years old. 30 years old. God waits three decades before he goes public. Three decades Okay, so you're like, all right, all right, all right. Well, he waited three decades, but surely God, I mean, this is a pivotal moment. Surely God would then spend like another three decades really unpacking who he is and what he's about and making sure everybody got it, right? How many years did Jesus do ministry, preach and teach until he was murdered? Someone shouted out at me. Three, three and a half at most. 
So in the system of God, in the currency of God, I have very limited amount of time. Thousands of years have been leading up to this moment. When I come in the flesh, I'm not even coming as an adult. I'm going to make you wait even more. 30 years go by, then I'm going to start teaching and preaching. You might think I'm going to do this for a while, but guess what? Psych, I'm about to be axed. Three to three and a half years. And so you have this very narrow window where Jesus, God in the flesh, was doing ministry. Resting on the legs of the word of God and the works of God. Preaching the kingdom of God. Three years or so. And so everything that Jesus does is very, very intentional. He's got no time to waste. It's a limited margin. A very limited margin. So how did Jesus do ministry? He does it in all the ways that you and I would think are unstrategic, are inefficient, are obscure, wild ideas. Why would he do it like that? Like, for instance, most of us, when we imagine the disciples, we imagine like middle-aged, balding men or something like that. No, the disciples were like 14, 15-year-olds, tops. These are teenagers. Jesus is inviting teenagers into a movement to change the world. Our faith rests upon their writings. You guys get that? Like these teenagers that he invited in. And then it, even in that, like think about who was in Jesus' circle. So let me just, let's like focus in on the disciples for a minute. So if this is a timeline of Jesus' life and ministry, these three years of ministry, this is the beginning, this is the middle, and this is the end when he died. When in this timeline did the disciples, did these young teenagers believe in Jesus? To use the language of Jesus out of John chapter 3, when were they born again? Show of hands if you think it was right here when Jesus first invited them to follow him. Anyone? I don't, okay, th- thanks Nick. I appreciate that man. Are you, are you raising a hand because you feel sorry that feel sorry for me that I'm like waiting on a hand? (laughs) Nick, are you on your phone right now, bro? Get off your phone. All right. Is the beginning of Jesus' ministry when the disciples believed? I don't think so. One hand went up, but admittedly he didn't know what we were doing here. So (laughs) I don't think so because, because these young Jewish men, these disciples, are, are all being pulled at various times from various walks of life. Some of them are fishermen. Others are tax collectors. One of them named Simon, he's a zealot. The zealots were a group of insurrectionists who would try to create violence in Rome and overthrow the Roman government. We would think of them like the way we think of terrorists, like they were violent men. One of them gets invited by Jesus. It is an odd grouping of people. And and none of them really seem to know who Jesus is. They're hopeful for who they want him to be, but they don't quite get it. And Jesus is plucking them out of different walks of life. He's doing miracles and he's teaching with authority, and they're following what seems to be some movement. This is a powerful man. Could this be the one we've been waiting on? But they're not quite sure. In the beginning, I don't think so. All right, what if we navigate over here a little bit, come to the center Put some weight here. The middle of Jesus' ministry, he's been doing it for about a year and a half now. Is this when the disciples believed? To use the language of Jesus, were they born again here? Some of you guys are like, oh, this is a trick question, man. 
It's the truth. I, 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 some of you guys will not answer me at all because you're like, I don't want to be wrong. Did they believe here? Some shaking heads, no. Okay, I don't think so either. In the middle of Jesus' ministry, you've got the peak of his popularity. Thousands of people are following Jesus on a regular basis. And Jesus is teaching some things that are confusing. His own disciples come up to him and they're like, hey man, i got to be honest, nobody knows what you're talking about. In fact, if we're really honest, we don't know what you're talking about, Nick. <laughs> Nick just said it to me. I don't know what we're saying here, man. They're saying that to Jesus, and they've been walking with him on a daily basis for a year and a half. We don't even know what you're talking about right now. You've got James and John arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Who gets to sit beside Jesus? It's me. No, it's me. Like they're arguing about petty things. They go into one town, and the town rejects Jesus, and, and James and John come up to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, this town doesn't like you. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn everyone up in there, or what? And Jesus is like, no! What do you, no! They're like, oh, okay, just wanted to check, dog. <laughs> like, our bad. You got little kids coming to Jesus, and the disciples are literally kicking them, like removing them, get out of here, go and get! Stop bothering, and Jesus is like, stop, stop, stop. They're the model of faith. You want to have greater faith? Have faith like a child. Like Jesus elevates children elevates women. The disciples are like clueless. They don't get what he's saying. They don't get what he's doing. They seem to be afraid oftentimes, confused most times, arguing with each other. They're getting glimpses of it here and there, but I'm not convinced in the chronology of them following Jesus that it's the year and a half mark when they got it. Well, that leaves us with the ending. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas, murdered by Rome, and all of his disciples ran and cowered because they were afraid and they locked themselves into a room and hid. Is this when they were born again? Oh. <laughs> it's a great question. But look at the disciples. Peter denies him. Judas betrays him. The others run and hide. No one seems to be willing to die for Jesus. And so all of a sudden, we're looking at this timeline, and we're like, whoa, wait a minute. Where, where else? Because nowhere in these three years, it seems like they're actually believing. What if when Jesus is risen from the dead, and you see his next interaction with, this, with his disciples, everything begins to click, doesn't it? Jesus spends 40 days on earth after coming back from the dead. And in those 40 days, everything seems to click for his disciples, they receive the Spirit of God, they become empowered, they begin to preach the gospel, they go from cowardly to courageous, fearful to faithful. They're out there in the streets, they're getting persecuted, they're getting beaten up, they're getting arrested, they're rejoicing at it. They don't fear Rome anymore, they don't fear man anymore, they're willing to die for this. What happened? Something after the resurrection happened. Would you say that it was after the resurrection that it seems like their faith clicked? Show of hands. Are you raising it because I'm raising it? Or because you're like, dude, I don't know, what do we do? I think it was post-resurrection, which means this. Matt, why are we going into this history lesson? Which means this. Think about this. Think about this. If this is true and the disciples didn't fully believe until post-resurrection, what it means is that for the past three years, Jesus has allowed people, men and women, has allowed people who were in the journey of faith in the journey of discovering what they really believed about Jesus, asking questions, having doubts, getting things wrong, saying things they regret, 
struggling with their faith, denying Jesus, betraying Jesus, coming back to Jesus. It means for three years, Jesus allowed people to go through a journey of discovering their belief. And he did it with them every step of the way. Jesus created belonging with people before believing. Do you see that in the, New, in the New Testament? Jesus created belonging before belief. Yeah, but Matt, like salvation comes through belief. I get that. I agree with that. Acts 4.12, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. I'm with you. But people will not believe unless they feel like they belong. We've adopted the model of Jesus. We believe that belonging is essential to the DNA of God's family. And so what that means for you guys is this. What we believe is, no matter who comes through these doors, it doesn't matter the baggage you walk into this room with. It doesn't matter if you just argued with your mom or your dad. It doesn't matter if, you, if you're going through some drama right now with your friend group. It doesn't matter if you, just go through a, if you just went through a breakup. It doesn't matter if you're coming through these doors with tons of questions about your faith, about who God is, about who Jesus is. Is any of this real? How does this actually work? Why does this matter? What am I even doing here? None of that, none of that trumps the fact that you belong here. Hear me. If we are going to be a Jesus culture, what it means is people on every stage of life and faith can walk through these doors and belong. We want you to discover life and hope in Jesus. We believe that he offers the best life and salvation. We pray for that as a team. But we want you to know you belong here no matter where you're at on the journey. Why? Because we love you. Because God loves you. We want you to know that you belong. Does Jesus ever talk about this in his ministry? I think he does. So, Luke chapter 15. I don't have slides tonight. This is our slide, our one slide. Luke chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, go there. Luke 15. Jesus is eating with some bad people. What we would say are bad people. Some sinners. People who are far from God. They're not living correctly. They're not, they don't have the right behavior. They're not doing things right are bad people. Jesus is sitting and eating with them. Now, why is this such a big deal? Because you got to think, this is first century Israel. There's no fast food. You don't just roll up to Christian chicken, Chick-fil-A, and order that number one with a lemonade, and peel out, and go meet your friend. There's no fast food. So eating was an event. The food had to be prepared. It took time. You had to get the ingredients. You had to make it yourselves. It was an event. And so to eat with people wasn't just like we think, oh, I sit down and eat half an hour. No, no, no. It meant you spent significant time with them. While the food is being prepared, you're talking about life. While you're breaking bread, you're investigating each other's hearts. You're spending time. It's not fast. It's deliberate. Food was an event. And so culturally speaking, to sit and eat with someone was often a sign or a symbol for friendship. Because you don't just sit and eat with strangers. You sit and eat with friends. Same thing in our culture. And so Jesus is eating with bad people. So get American fast food like, oh, a quick 20 out of your head. It's an ordeal. It's an event. And Luke chapter 15 begins with the religious people, 
the people who claim to know God, claim to be close to God, claim to really have God's word figured out. It begins with the religious people, the Pharisees and the tax collectors. I'm I'm sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes. They come to Jesus and they're upset at him. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and he even eats with them. The audacity. But what are they really saying? This man is a friend to sinners. Because to eat with someone meant you were friends with someone. This man is a friend to sinners. Now keep in mind the context. This is the religious leaders, the experts in the word of God. And they get upset with Jesus because he is spending time with people who don't belong in their circles. Here's... Look at the irony, guys. This is God in the flesh spending time with people, and it's upsetting people who claim to know God. And they're upset at God about it. Jesus doesn't defend himself. He doesn't launch into some like, oh, guys, shh, 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 I'm on mission. <laughs> it's me, God. <laughs> like, don't let the cat out of the bag here, okay? I'm trying to love them into the faith. He doesn't go into any of this. Instead, Jesus just begins to tell three stories. Three stories. And the first story is about a shepherd. I actually just had a little devotional with my family, my kids. Let's go ahead and get this out of the way. Week one, I have kids. I have kids. It's a shocker. It's a surprise. I know. I know. I know. You wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. I'm married. You, I, I know. I know. Guys, guys, Morgan is engaged as well. Let's go ahead and get all this out of the way. I know you wouldn't know it, okay? I never talk about my kids, but surprise, I have kids. I, I just did a little devotional with my kids about Luke 15 and the, and the sheep and the, the shepherd. So Jesus launches into three stories. The first one he tells is about a shepherd who has sheep. He says, hey, there's a shepherd. He has 100 sheep. He loses one of those sheep. What's the shepherd do? Those of you who know this story, what does the shepherd do? He goes and he finds it. Think about this. There's a shepherd, and he's so deliberate with his sheep, and he's so intentional with his flock that one day he's there, and he stops, and he, he starts counting and naming. All right, we got Harry, and okay, there's Terry, Jerry, Barry, okay, and he's counting donkey. <laughs> he's counting all of his sheep. And he gets to number 99, and he looks for 100, and he's like, ooh, now, where, now where'd he go? And he realizes the 100th sh- sheep is lost. And Jesus tells this story, and he says, the shepherd leaves the 99, and he goes and he seeks after the 100. Now, I want you to get this, because the mathematics of God's logic does not line up with our logic. If I came to you, and I, and I gave you 100 single-dollar bills... You were like, yo, thanks, fam. $100? Yeah, dude. And between here and your car, somehow you lost one. You get into your car and you're like, all right, let me count this. And you get to 99. You're like, oh, man, I dropped a buck somewhere. Let's be honest, you're driving home. Like, you're not going to be like, well, I should probably like spend the next few hours looking for that dollar. I bet I dropped it under one of the chairs. I'll crawl around on my hands and knees. Most of us in the room would be like, you know what? I got 99. It's a pretty good night. It's just a dollar, right? 
99 compared to 1? And yet, Jesus is telling this story, and if you have the eyes to see it, you know it's not about a shepherd and a sheep, it's about the love of God. And he's telling the story where the shepherd realizes that one of his sheep is missing, and so he pauses everything. And in the weird mathematics of God, the value is worth it to pause everything and seek after the one. Jesus launches into a second story. He doesn't even take a breath. He says, also, there was a woman. The woman had a coin collection. She has ten coins, and she loses one. Jesus says she tears her house upside down, literally turns it upside down looking for the lost coin. She spends time. Jesus is being very deliberate here. Something is lost and there's time spent to find it. Something is lost and someone seeks after it. Both the shepherd and the woman, when they find the lost sheep and the lost coin, they throw a party. They throw a celebration. Again, illogical mathematics. The coin that the woman lost probably costs less than the party that she threw to celebrate the fact that she found it. She's spending more money to party for finding the lost coin than the coin is worth. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. Jesus is telling these stories, and then he launches into a third story. And he says, ah, there was a father. He had two sons, a younger brother and an older brother. The younger brother comes to the dad and says, Dad, I, I wish you were dead. I, go ahead and give me the money that I'll get one day when you die. I'm just going to go off. And if you read the story of Luke 15, you know the younger brother goes off, and he lives a pretty wild life, pretty wild life, even by our standards. And he, he comes to the end of himself, and he's literally feeding himself with pig food. And he kind of has this epiphany, like, what am I doing? Even if I were to go home, I won't be welcomed as a son, but I could serve. I could, like, be a servant in my dad's house. Maybe he'd take me back as a servant. And so he prepares this speech in his head, and he's like, man, if I go back and I see my dad, I'll tell him I messed up and I sinned. And so he's got this speech prepared, and he launches home. He starts going home. The dad in the story that Jesus is telling sees the younger son from a long way off, which means he's watching, deliberately waiting and watching, and he runs to him, which culturally was very inappropriate for a man to run, because men wore robes in first century Israel, and to run means you'd have to lift your robe and expose your legs, and men didn't expose their legs in that culture. It was very shameful, but Jesus is telling the story of a dad who has lost his son and is patiently waiting and runs to meet him. And when the dad gets there, he throws his arms around him. He starts kissing his face. And the son's trying to get out his speech. He's like, Dad, I, I've sinned. I've sinned against heaven. Okay, just pause the kisses for a second. I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the dad is having none of it. He doesn't care about the speech. He doesn't care about whatever method the son had to earn his way back in. The dad calls for the robe, for rings, for the fattened calf. And he says, we are going to throw a party because my son, which was lost, is now found. But remember, that's not the only son in the story. There's an older brother, isn't there? And the older brother hears the celebration going on, and he gets really upset. And he's like, what, what's this party going on? And the people are like, oh, yo, that's your brother's home. And he becomes bitter and angry that his younger brother left, and now that he's home, we're celebrating? No, 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 no. He doesn't belong here anymore. And Jesus is telling this story very intentionally. Listen to the flow of Luke 15. Jesus, we're upset with you because you eat with bad people and you're their friend? Jesus says, a shepherd has a hundred sheep, loses one, and goes to find it. A woman has a coin collection, loses one, and goes to find it. A father has sons, loses one, and no one goes to find them. 
in first century Israel. This is very important for us to know. It was the oldest brother's responsibility to go after a younger sibling if they ever ran away. The older brother. And Jesus is telling this story in a very clever way. What he's saying to these religious leaders is, you are more concerned about doing what's right that when these lost people come into the family of God, you're actually bitter about it instead of celebrating with the angels in heaven. Jesus tells this story, these three stories, in defense of the religious leaders getting upset because he is creating belonging for people who are far from God. Here's a little summary of some other things Jesus did. He stopped for the bleeding woman. That was culturally a no-no. Revealed himself to a Samaritan woman. Unbelievable. Defended the exposed woman caught in adultery. Unthinkable. Told a story making a Samaritan the hero. Nobody does that. Elevated children as the model of faith. Healed a Roman soldier's servant. Invited teenagers to be his disciples. Healed the sick. Touched the infected. Talked with the rejected. Validated the shunned. Hurt, the, hurt with the hurting. Listened to the broken. Fixed the shattered. Approved uh, the unwanted. Loved the hated. Included the poor. Befriended the bad. If you study the life of Jesus... What you will find is that here is God in the flesh who creates a culture where people feel like they belong in their journey of trying to figure out what they believe about Jesus. And my dear brothers and sisters, that is what our student ministry is all about. You belong here. We believe that. But no matter what we believe, this actually won't become a reality unless you help us create that reality. It doesn't matter how much we believe it or love you or want you to belong. If, if you're not on board with this, it doesn't get created. So what does that mean? It means that if you come here on a Sunday night and you know you already have a place. This is your squad. These are your people. You've been coming forever. Great. We love that. But it means thinking and seeing beyond yourself for a moment and scanning the room and finding people sitting by themselves who clearly don't know where they fit in. Finding people standing by themselves outside who clearly don't have anyone to talk to. Finding people who are kind of walking around with that look like, dude, I'm embarrassed. I feel like every eye's on me. I, I, I feel like ashamed. And, I, and they come once and they never come again because no one ever even said a word. If you have belonging, you create belonging. That's what people of God do. If you have belonging, you create belonging. Why? Because Jesus creates belonging for us. It's that simple. So on kickoff week as a student ministry, what's the one thing I want you to know? Is that you belong here. But if that's true, I need your help creating belonging for others who feel like they don't. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the stories that you tell us, not only in Luke 15, but all over the Gospels about the heart of God, moving towards those who were the untouchables in culture. Striking up conversations with people that no one would talk to. Validating the unvalidated. Giving worth to the unworthy. Stopping for the one. Pausing. Taking time. Being deliberate to make sure people understood that they are loved and they belong. And Jesus, we pray with all desperation and all earnestness. We pray that that would be true of our student ministry, of this family. That this isn't a club, 
That people who come here don't just come because this is what you do on Sundays, but they come hungry for the word of God and passionate to help others know that they have a place in the family too. Jesus, what could happen in our church? What could happen in our city if your people caught this vision that those who belong create belonging? Would you help us? Would you put that on our heart? Would you give us a deep-seated conviction to pull people into the family, to seek after those who don't belong, to make sure our words and our behavior and our attitude and our looks never, ever make someone feel like they don't have a place in the family of God? Jesus, we ask this in your name through the power of your Spirit.